Hola, everyone. I'm Jenny Solans along with my husband, Ben. Hola, chicos. Bienvenidos a Breaking Español. Every week, we share our journey as we learn Spanish, immersing ourselves into Latin culture while raising our young son bilingual. And we hope that hearing our story inspires you to embark on your own language learning journey. ¿Están listos? Vámonos. Enjoy the show. Hola, Jenny. Hola, Benjamin. ¿Cómo estás? Bien, ¿y tú? Bien, bien. Sí. What do we have to share today? Well, we're at an interesting time here in California, where we live, in that there is a bill this election cycle that will open up the doors or the opportunities for schools to teach in multiple languages. So we've talked about this a little bit before, and there's some new information coming out about it, and I thought it'd be interesting to just kind of dive into the people that are for it, like us, and people that are against it, and maybe why there is a ban currently on bilingual education, or effectively a ban on bilingual education in California schools. Yeah, I heard you talking a little bit with Patricia this morning about mm -hmm. kind of her thoughts on it too, right? Because she has two girls currently in California school system, and they transferred up from Tijuana. And in Tijuana, they learned 100% in Spanish. At home, she speaks 100% in Spanish. And when they got here, they were not proficient in English right. at all. And one daughter, as you know, with most kids, each kid has a different learning style. So one daughter is good in school, catching on really quickly. And the other daughter is behind. And so mm -hmm. when we were, you were asking her, I overheard you asking her what her thoughts were on it. Obviously, her situation is a little different, right? Because her kids are coming in yeah. speaking so, so Spanish. Let's, right. So let's talk about that, the origins of this whole thing, because they're very related to what you're saying there. Oh, okay. So in 1996, there was a protest at a uh, outside of a school district in Los Angeles from a bunch of Latino parents that were upset because their kids were graduating from elementary school not knowing English uh, fluently. And they only spoke Spanish. So for them, they assumed that being here in America, having their kids go to school, that they would just learn it. And at the time, they had bilingual programs which would teach them in Spanish because that was their native language. And they thought, you know, you could learn better in your native language than you could in a foreign language. And especially when you don't speak it at home, so you don't really get much English at all. So they were upset about it. That led to this guy, Ron, what's his last name? Ron Unz, who is a Silicon Valley millionaire. Uh, he was the one behind this ban, which passed in 1998. It was Prop 227 at the time. It passed pretty hands down with 61% uh, of the vote, which is a lot. So... What that did then was it forced basically everybody to be taught in English. And if you didn't speak a, a word of English, when you came in, you were put on a special program and you, the parents had to sign something, you know, basically allowing them to be taught this program, which then would bring them up to speed within a couple of years. So that way they would, and then from then on, they would just be in English only from, from, from there on out. So this actually led to... Uh, test scores for Spanish-speaking students or bilingual students going up. And so people claimed it as a success. It was great, right? Well, fast forward 20 years, those test scores for those students aren't that great anymore. And so while there was a bump initially, over the long haul, they're saying it really hasn't helped that much. 
this is the this is the proponent of the current Proposition 58. People that are saying, no, we need to repeal this ban. And then now they're not bilingual unless their parents are speaking Spanish at home. Right. So th- that's that's the other. So there's two aspects of this. One is that the ban currently, new data coming out showing that it doesn't really help as much as people initially thought. So there's one. So just the, the fact of bringing their test scores up it hasn't really, it really hasn't panned out as initially thought, uh, even though there were early signs that it was. So then there's kind of the civil rights side of it where kids graduating now, because all they're learning is English, they're not learning a word of Spanish, they kind of lose part of their culture. They no longer know Spanish. I mean, they can probably speak it with their family and stuff like that. So that makes sense because you said it passed in 96, right? Mm-hmm. And for us, we went through a lot of school around that time. I would say most of the people I went to school with that ha- that were Hispanic didn't know a lot of Spanish. Mm-hmm. Like their parents, we were definitely in that generation where the parents were a little nervous mm-hmm. to teach their kids Spanish or continue to just speak to them in Spanish because they thought it would put them at a disadvantage. Yeah, it was a different time, right? At the time, there was this thinking that, well, if you want to be successful in the world, you need to speak English fluently. And, you know, there's probably some merit to that, right? Like the Internet was written in English. And if you want to be, let's say, a computer programmer or anything like that, you have to know English because all programming languages are written solely in English. Uh, the, The language of finance is in English. So if you want to do business, even if you're doing business with a different country like China or somebody, it's in English. If you want to be a pilot, right, all flight traffic controls around the world, the entire planet are in English. So even if you're flying from, I don't know, uh, Indonesia to uh, to France, two countries that don't speak English as their first language, if you're a pilot, you need to know English because that's, you know, America invented the airplane. So all of these things that were kind of created here exist in the world solely in English. So there is some, I guess, logic to thinking like, hey, if you want to be a pilot, a doctor, a you know, computer programmer, or whatever, you need to know English. And, and so there is truth behind that. But to assume that you must know English to like do anything successfully is, I think, we've evolved our thinking, right? And people like us, parents like us, um, are the ones now that have think that actually being bilingual is better. So even though we speak English at home, we want to raise our son bilingual or we are raising our son bilingual because there are all these other kind of benefits and all these other studies and all this information now that says, hey, it's actually better if you can speak multiple languages. Well, I think it comes down to, you know, not being raised somewhere where you only know the people in your general vicinity. Right. And so when you branch out and you travel or you explore the world, you want to know other languages. But now I think even people that are maybe not big travelers and don't want to see the world, they're seeing it right in their neighborhood. Mm -hmm. People living there that speak a different language and that they can't, we talked about this a couple episodes ago, you can't really fully like get on that level with a person if you don't speak their language. Yeah, it's it's hard to communicate. It's hard to understand. And just get those jokes and that (laughs) passion they have for their language. Yeah. So, So that's what's going on, right? So there was this initial thought that and there was logic behind it so you can't really fault people for it but now our our thinking has changed and on the civil rights side of it it's more of like there's a lot of momentum about hey no speaking spanish or french or mandarin or whatever it may be is a part of who we are and this country we're a nation of immigrants right that's like one thing that we're most proud about as a country and so 
for us to force people to shed essentially their their home language or their initial language is is not right right and for it to be forced it's different if the parents put it on their kids or you know but for the government to actually regulate this is is kind of crazy and this is a very progressive state right so a lot of people here think more along the lines of what we do so it's likely that this will pass and one of the things the stats about and i'll put a link to an article that really brought this up again uh, from npr was that Californians are nearly twice as likely to speak a language other than English than the general population of the country. So the national average of people that speak m multiple languages, that is, you know, Spanish, French, any other language, and then English either fluently or very well proficiently, is 23%. Now in California, the overall population of California, it's 44%. Is that just because we have a lot of immigrants here from Mexico and Asia? Yeah, and... exactly. Yeah, we have a lot of, uh, it's a very diverse state, right? And California makes up a big chunk of the country's population, something like 12 or 13% of people in the United States live in California. So, uh, you know, we're, California is the fifth largest economy in the world, right? So if, if California were its own country, we would actually be economically a, a better or bigger country than England even. So California is a big deal, right? It's not just like another state, you know, like any of the other states. It, it has most of the money, most of the people and all that stuff. So 44% of people here speak multiple languages and 45% of California students fall into this category as well of speaking multiple languages. So it makes a lot of sense, at least in California, to not have a ban. <laughs> you know, uh, what we're talking about is removing a regulation. So it's interesting that there's kind of in, on the conservative side, there's a lot of people that say, hey, you should be forced to know English. But on the conservative side, also, you typically say, I don't want the government regulating and, you know, over overreaching. I see this as an overreach of the government, which is I, I would imagine most conservatives would agree with. Um, so it's kind of a funny, interesting juxtaposition. It's a very like con counterintuitive thing where, hey, I want people to learn English ah, and but I don't want them to regulate it. So it's like, fine, right? So don't regulate it. So I think this will pass. All the polling data we've seen shows that it'll pass. And it will... It doesn't really affect anyone who is already teaching their kid one way or another. It would right. only, only open up for people that are like, you know, we want to go to a bilingual school and we need more bilingual schools. It, it, I think it would only open up. But I, I don't think it would affect that original protest was kind of these parents who were speaking a ton of Spanish at home and they were really relying on the school to make their kid proficient in English, like they weren't getting the help they needed. And yeah. so it makes sense why the ban went down. I, I'm I'm sure they're going to learn from that mistake and find some way. And there's been a lot of talk locally about dual immersion programs mm -hmm. for that reason. Yeah. Because dual immersion means that you have a native Spanish speaker needs to maybe be taught a little bit differently than a native English speaker from kindergarten. Right. And so opponents of this removal of the ban fear that kids that speak, that are English language learners, that it's not their first language, will be forced into these programs. But that's really not the case. The, the, the way that what will happen legally is that without this ban, school districts and counties and everyone else will be able to decide for themselves how they want to do it. 
And so as a parent, you know, depending, you may not be able to send your kid to different school districts, which is a restriction. But point being, it's not like this is going to force bilingualism on kids. Right. So it's not going to really change anything overnight, but it is going to open up the doors and the possibilities for more more programs. I, I think the Ricardo Lara, who is a Democratic state senator from L.A. County, um, and he's a, he's the sponsor of it. Uh, he calls it a, an attempt to right a tremendous wrong. And I think that's that's powerful. Right. And, and that's kind of the thing is that initially it made sense logically anyways. But what we've seen over the past 20 years is that it actually is uh, stripping kids of their native language, which isn't which is a, a tremendous wrong. And, and I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Because it shouldn't be like I don't ever remember. And I grew up in two states which had a huge Hispanic population. I don't remember Spanish being a big part of school at all. Mm-hmm. It was one to two years required of it or semesters required mm-hmm. of it. And that was it. And that was that was any language, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, some of the schools I went to didn't have a lot of languages yeah, to yeah. choose from, mm-hmm. but yeah, maybe there was French and sign language, mm-hmm. you know, but also it's, I just remember only the kids maybe on the bus going home, talking to each other in Spanish and that was about it. And so it's just like, it's crazy yeah. to think that it would have been so easy to learn Spanish at that age. Like I, I just remember yeah. And it's interesting because you feel like um, people want to be bilingual, I think is the idea, right? Like kids growing up, like I, I don't really know, and you know, I guess there's probably some data to support this or, or, or not, but if you immigrate here from an, another country that speaks another language and you don't know a word of English, it would make sense that you want yourself to learn English and your kids to learn English. Yeah. And a better way to do that is to not strip away your your initial language and not to force it on you, but to allow kids to be a part of these programs that actually help educate them in both languages. So they don't lose a sense of who they are and and they gain a sense of, you know, being bilingual and being multicultural. Well, yeah, because then there's this, like, if they don't, if there's no immersion of your original language, then it just to you seems like it it's wrong, right? Mm-hmm. You shouldn't know it because it's not what everyone else knows. And yeah. th- I think it's the same. I've talked with even many moms about sometimes it being a challenge, their older kids getting them to speak the language. And it will be kind of a good segue into our next topic because I think I found a lot of parents that have older children finding immersion to be the best way to to convince a kid. Like, you want to learn this language. Trust me, it's like you know, yeah. this is not just a subject in school that I'm forcing you to do. Mm-hmm. There's a big benefit to learning another language. And sometimes with kids, you know, if if it's not from the very beginning and they don't see the benefit, there's resistance, a lot of resistance from kids. Like, I don't want to speak that or I don't want to be your little parrot and say, look, look, tell them how you know agua and leche. And, <laughs> you know, they don't really want to be like that. But if they're a little bit older, you can expose them to other cultures and languages that are speaking a language that you'd like to teach them Mm -hmm. and they see like wow that is so fun it's like a game yeah you know it's less like a forceful and so to your point there i think there's actually a good quote here or at least a paraphrasing of someone who is uh, shelly spiegel coleman she she's the leader of californians together which is a uh, long beach nonprofit that is kind of pioneering the biliteracy movement um and in california anyways 
And according to her, she says that knowing at least two languages now is important is as important as being proficient in math, science, and reading. Yeah. And in California specifically, I would agree with that. I, I would say it is. I mean, it's it's even probably better because, like you know, English, math, and all that. Like you need, or you know, uh, science, math, and reading. You need to know those things just to survive. I would say this actually gives you an advantage. Totally. And, uh, and, and it's extremely helpful. So this is, it's an exciting time, especially if this bill passes, to then see what opportunities open up. Well, there's so many places now. We're in, we're in a kind of a, a tourist area, I would say. And so being bilingual is, it almost seems like it's required mm-hmm. when, you hi- when you get hired somewhere. You know, I didn't work a college job or anything here. I didn't move here until later, but... I see signs that say we're hiring and it almost always it's like bilingual a plus or bilingual sure, yeah. accepted or, you know, because they need that. They need someone to be able to switch back and forth. And we, we experience this all the time. We walk up to the counter. There's someone who is, you know, Spanish speaking in front of us. The, the person, um, the teller or the, um, the cashier, the cashier, is like speaks in Spanish to them, blah, blah, blah. We get up to the counter and they switch to English really quick. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like you get that all the time and it's because they have, they have to. And when then we're always like, wait, no, speak Spanish. To <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do that all the time. Yeah, we're like, no, 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 try it on us too. But I reply in Spanish. Yeah, but it it is going to be the norm. And I'm curious, you know, moving forward, like you don't want it to go back to it being a negative thing again. So I hope they learn from that like 1996 ban, like, Okay, so we don't want to go back to exactly what we had before because obviously um, Hispanic families were suffering from not getting the English proficiency, but we still need to have that bilingual education in a school. And it should just be automatically taught. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be like, a oh, do you want to take Spanish or French this year for your one credit? Yeah. You have to do more than that. I I would love to see that, especially here. I mean, we've talked about that before. Uh, that it should almost be required that you learn yeah. another language from the time you're in kindergarten, really, or first grade or whatever. From the time you start learning English and how to put a sentence together, you should also be learning another language. And and if that's, I mean, but that's our, I think that's a pretty progressive view. I, I don't think most people would, would support no, that. But, yeah. but that would be awesome. I mean, especially when you're close to, you know, or have such a strong population of another another culture that speaks another language, you know, because we are a nation of immigrants, or we truly are. And so it it makes sense that we should be well, if much in, more diverse, if you know, in from any a language standpoint. Southern states, it there's so much Spanish being spoken. That's all over. It's truly all over. Any populated place. That's true, yeah. You're gonna have a, probably a significant Hispanic population, probably a significant Asian population. Yeah. Um, which don't speak English as their first language. Right, so, right. And there's businesses and, you know, if you're if you're in any kind of job where you are dealing with mm-hmm. other business owners and you don't speak their main language, it's... Yeah, we did have an interesting encounter recently where we, the cashier, she was speaking to the guys in the kitchen uh, in Spanish, and a white girl, a gringa, and she came over and started speaking to us in, in, uh, in English. And I replied to her in Spanish... She was so uncomfortable. And she seemed a little awkward, right? And then later I went up to the counter uh, when we were done and I asked her, you know, where, where'd she learn Spanish, blah, blah, blah. Because she spoke, she didn't just speak the, you know, five words that you need to know at a restaurant. She spoke, you know, much more uh, cleanly. 
and and I said, uh, you know, where do you learn Spanish? And she said, oh, she she lived in Madrid for five years or something. So she speaks like really good Spanish. And and I said, oh, okay, well, how come you didn't speak to me in Spanish? And she said she was nervous because she doesn't know the formal way to speak to a customer. So she didn't know if you were like if if like we were Spanish, mm-hmm. right? So. And so she felt awkward because she knows like the casual way to talk to mm-hmm. friends and yeah. yeah, it's like an uncomfortable feeling. I do the same thing. I'm like, I don't know how to address someone. Yeah. I don't know if I'm insulting them by just talking too casual, like, hola chica. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. There's, and and I get that, um, you know. I mean, obviously we're not offended because we aren't, you know, fl- fluent in Spanish or yeah. we're not first language Spanish speaking. In this setting at like a little cafe near the beach, I think it would be okay. Yeah. If you're at like a fine dining restaurant right. and people, you know, I could understand it being like. No, because I, I remember like thinking, oh my gosh, you're making her so uncomfortable. <laughs> like Ben was ordering in Spanish and I'm just like, when she got to me, I was like, I will have a turkey sandwich, <laughs> salad on the side. Like uh, I just, she seemed so incredibly uncomfortable. And then when you had asked her afterwards, like that totally makes sense. Like she's like. She didn't feel like she loves talking to the kitchen people because she's 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 comfortable with them. Well, and she's learning, and so they're helping her learn. Mm-hmm. But then the minute she's like sees a customer, she's like, "Oh no, no, like I don't feel like I'm at that level." Which yeah. little did she know? Like we're all probably at yeah, the same she level. Yeah, speaks better yeah. than we do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So my friend passed on. Uh, my friend lives up in L.A. in Burbank, and she gets Los Angeles Magazine, and she saw on the front there was this article: "Learning Spanish as a Familia." And so she's texting me and she's like, you got to read this. It's about a family going through immersion. And it's, she's, um, she's a listener of our podcast and she's a good friend of mine. And we've talked a lot about raising our sons bilingual because her son is just, he's going to be one next month or in December. And so she's in the same process and learning Spanish herself because she doesn't know a lot, but she knows why it's so important. And one of the biggest conversations we have a lot as being moms that, Spanish is not our first language is this kind of like fear that there's still we're still not going to be like doing it enough we're not going to have enough of it and so immersion is a huge part she's a big fan of Spain she plans to go take him on trips there we love immersion and so this article kind of sparked that like hey look it's the it's that same idea that you know you can go in a classroom and you can speak Spanish and you can learn your vocab but without being able to be forced to use it, that's about all you're going to know. You're going to mm-hmm. either be really good at writing it or you're going to be really good at listing off all the vegetables and numbers and the alphabet. But really being able – because learning a second language, we've learned now from using it, it's all about just the person understanding you. So if someone asks if I'm fluent, I'm like, yeah, because I can have conversations. Now, there's still so much I don't know and so many conversations I still get lost at. But that's, I think, how you test fluency is like, can you use it? Because if you are really book smart and you you have all your conjugations down and your vocab, but you've never used it in a real setting, you could be super timid and nervous. So I think immersion is kind of key. Mm-hmm. Like, I know it's key for our journey. And we that's why... We book as many trips as we can, to, and you know, even with Patricia, because she knows English, don't you think we fall back a little I bit? I think you fall back. Oh, totally. I always do. <laughs> <laughs> I try to speak as much Spanish as I can, and then when I get stuck, I'll do a little bit of explaining in English, and then she'll go, "Oh, okay." I know, I know. It's so funny because it's like you have that you can like say it in Spanish, and then you go back and you go, "Okay," and then in English, you know, you you repeat it, and then 
there is that nod of the head, that understanding. Mm -hmm. But so, yeah, so I'll just kind of summarize this article a little bit. And if you want to read it further, it's in the uh, Los Angeles Magazine. It's in the November 2016 um, copy of it. And I just found it at Barnes & Noble here in San Diego, but obviously you could probably find the article online. This author, I believe, is releasing a book. I think that's why the article, it's just a little quick article, but she's releasing a book coming out possibly next month. Let me see. I think it had a little thing on it. Coming out on Amazon. Her name is Hillary McGregor, and she is a writer living in L.A., and she has a book called We're Out of Here on the Road with Family, in South America and it looks like it's going to be released November 1st on Amazon but really it's it's a mom and her husband and two kids they have a 10 year old and a 12 year old um, two boys and the dad is uh, she says my husband is a Fernandez so he grew up in New Jersey and doesn't speak any Spanish doesn't know much about his Latin heritage uh, I guess his grandfather was super secretive about kind of their culture and their background and didn't really speak a lot of Spanish so being in LA, I mean, I think even more so than here, huge Hispanic population. Your kids don't speak Spanish. There's definitely a minority there. Mm -hmm. And she tried classes and Duolingo and forcing the kids to listen to it on the way home from school. And it just wasn't working. So she did this kind of bold move and decided to enroll the entire family in an immersion program. And they booked one week kind of in um, Quinton Rue down by Tulum. Mm -hmm. They booked their first week there. And then they decided to extend it because they wanted to really, you know, right, a week is not is nothing. So, yeah. so they also booked time down in Buenos Aires. And she said the first part of it, the immersion was really, really good and really extreme in the sense that they did a homestay program. So they stayed in a home with a family that did not speak English at all. Mm. So they get – and it's a very small area, you know, from traveling down there. It's on the, um, like, Cancun side. And they – the school, they put the kids in one program and the parents another just because the learning styles were different. But the school had English and Spanish, like, to help them learn. But then they go home, and it's 100% in Spanish. And I liked – I have a couple quotes that I wrote down just because I liked how she said it. She said, since no one spoke English, there was no way to cheat. And I think that's a good way to think of it because yeah. I, I definitely think sometimes when I switch to English with uh, Patricia, I feel like I'm cheating a little bit. I feel like no I'm like... No se trampa. Yeah. I feel like I have this like, okay, well, let's go back to that and I'll just use it. And then it is, it's a little bit of a cheat, you know. So, and even, you know, their kids would be waving their arms around in a game of international charades. And we always talk about that, like how the international sign is like thumbs up, <laughs> like, all right, you know, like got it. So, um, that was super funny. And then another thing we had talked about a couple, a couple weeks ago, how you really have that, um, understanding of a, of a culture and you feel, you like feel something when you learn their language. And this was a good one. She said, um, like the so they were learning like little nuances from the school was helping them kind of understand when someone says this to you it it, it shows affection or and we've learned a lot of that like the little itos and all that and so she said for example i always had assumed cafecito was just a little coffee she said but but her teacher said that when someone offered you a cafecito it was an expression of intimacy and affection so the next morning when doña norma which is doña is like the Owner. Yeah, the the woman of that at the house asked her whether she wanted a cafecito. She felt her kindness and 
you know, had that warmth from it. Mm. And so I think that's a huge part of, right, getting to know somebody, knowing when it's informal or not formal or where it's loving or where it comes from that kind of that kind of area. So that's yeah. on the intro song to coffee break Spanish too. Cafecito. Cafecito, por favor. <laughs> yeah. So no, that was super interesting. And it, I think it kind of brings up like if ever struggling learning a language and especially different levels of children learning, like you take them somewhere where I follow this family that is traveling around the world with their kids and you take them somewhere and they get they find a love for surfing or they find a love for, you know, whatever. You know, kids will become friends just from playing a little board game. And they now can speak the language with that kid. They're going to be more excited to learn it because they're like, oh, my friend, like when I see him tomorrow, I want to tell him I know how to say this. And so I think I think that's just a really fun way to, to keep it up because I do think there's always going to be some resistance. Like, you know, we don't deal with that with Jack yet, but he's so little. Yeah. You know, he it's just... He doesn't even know, but we're like totally forcing it on him. <laughs> like, well, that's what we were talking okay. about. You know, by the time he realizes that we're teaching him Spanish, he'll already know it. Right. You know, and, and it'll just be, this is what you do. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, a parent's advantage from deciding to do something really young. It might be a little bit harder if he was already, you know, seven years old. Well, yeah. When they're seven, I think you have to get really creative. I think you have to find things that they love to do. Or go to an immersion program. Right. Them. Yeah. I mean, in there's those options. And she lists a few ways. She said it was actually kind of hard to find a school that would take adults and children. Mm. Because if you if you do like Google search or you do a little bit of data on it, it look at me using my data. <laughs> my, my husband being a data yes. guy. I'm like totally using rubbing data. Off. I know. But if you like look into it, the the people that are marketed the most are adult beginner learners Mm -hmm. because everyone falls off by the time they get to advanced. Like it's, it's not very many people go to intermediate or advanced. Everyone wants to learn a language. Yeah. No one really jumps to that next level. So most schools, most things around the world are, are, um, advertising to the person that just wants to learn, wants to have a experience, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. We, you know, I think that's a good point because I feel like where we're at and we're still going to class, which is certainly helps us advance. But I really think, that if we were to go stay somewhere for an extended period of time, mm-hmm. that would be probably more advantageous than almost any school per- could provide. Yeah, I think... Because, you know, when you leave the school, like you said, it's back to English. Yeah. And we have to seek out, even though there's so many opportunities here in California, it's still you have to seek out the opportunity to speak Spanish, um, which, hey, I love Mexican food, so I'll just go down to those, <laughs> you know, kind of places all the time. But... Point being, if we were in Spain or uh, somewhere else, you know, Mexico or anywhere, yeah, you you leave there and you're you're you know now it's actually more of a learning when process I talk to, out, out of school than in. When I talk to a lot of people that are bilingual and their first native language was Spanish, when I ask how they learned English, and because I feel like they're so good at speaking both, and they didn't go to a bilingual school, they said 100% it was when their family moved them here, you know, when they yeah. were 15, and they were forced to learn English. Yeah, they like were your forced. Cousin, right? That's a great example. Yeah, like they she were, spoke Spanish her whole life. There, And she was 18 or something when she moved here, and mm-hmm. forced her to speak English because mm-hmm. there was no and Five fault. years later, she's like in her early 20s now, and so she can speak... English perfectly. Yeah, she'll be she'll love that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, English cartoons. So we're just doing kind of the opposite, right? We're like we're using cartoons and books and all mm-hmm. that in Spanish because we need that kind of leg up on it because we don't have yeah. as much, you know, we we're surrounded by friends and we obviously are going to immerse Jack and take him places, but just using it as much as you can in those little fillers 
And we tell a lot of people when, when we know someone's Spanish speaking, we're like, oh, you know, habla espanol con Jack. Like he, yeah, yeah. he knows how to speak Spanish. And but that immersion is just really huge. I remember, do you remember when we took class? We had started Spanish classes with Lalo. I think at that time you were having us go every week. And it was super overwhelming to me and because it just, it's so like book heavy. It's so just a foreign, it's it's completely foreign language that you have not mm-hmm. studied before. Like it had been years since I'd studied it. And we went, the first trip we went on was Tulum just a month after being enrolled in classes. And it was the first time we got to use our, actually it wasn't Tulum, it was Nicaragua. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. So it was the first time we got to use our greetings. Like, that's as far as we were. We were like, como estas? Muy bien. Like, buenas noches. And, you know. De donde eres. Yeah. Buenas noches. De donde eres. Like, all that stuff. So we used that. And even that felt really fun to to mm-hmm. be able to use that. And we just switched to English the minute after we got our greetings yeah. out. And then about six months later, six to eight months later, we had a three-week trip in Spain and that we had really been prepping for. So mm-hmm. we had been working with Lalo on things we would run into, situations we'd run into, what yeah. we could could use while we were there. That was a complete immersion trip because we were in parts of Spain that didn't speak a lot of English. We were we stayed at Airbnbs. <laughs> we stayed at um, Airbnbs where the owners didn't speak any English. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, your little charades game works and your symbols, but like it's also nice to just be able to have a conversation with them. And I felt like when we got back, we were so excited to go to class because we were like, oh my gosh, like we had learned yeah. so much. We now knew things to ask. Like that's how we use our classes even now is now we use it in our daily setting. And then we go back to Lalo and we say, this is what we're having troubles with. And then he helps us. And that's why every week we kind of found we didn't need right now because we're using it outside of class and outside of school. Yeah. And um, let me say something about that, too, because I think it's important for people to understand when you're starting to learn or want to go down this path that speed and I mean, time is something that you can't change. And, And what I mean by that, like there's a phrase in business, we'd say, you know, uh, nine women can't make a baby in a month, right? So the idea being like the pace at which you can learn a language is sort of defined. So if you were to go to class five days a week, it's not like you can take in that much information and absorb it that quickly. Some of us are faster learners than others. That's true. But if you were to go once a week, like you said, and that was even overwhelming, imagine people that say, well, I'm just going to go five days a week. Like it doesn't work like that. It's not like you're going to learn five times as fast as somebody that goes once a week. Because really, in order for you to absorb it and to try to use it and to really, really internalize that information and, and, and make it your own, uh, it takes time. And so it doesn't matter who you are, going five hours a day for five days a week is not going to be like as like the you know exactly 10 times better than going once every other week or something like that well i think it's like with like you know dieting and exercise you have to find a way that it fits into your lifestyle so if you're gonna go for just a couple months and you're gonna throw it in five days a week and then eventually you're not gonna be able to sustain that Mm -hmm. that schedule and then you're just gonna drop it off it didn't benefit you any more than it's like one of those things right so if imagine if you went five days a week and I mean, well, I, that just sounds like so much. <laughs> yeah. Now, in, in, you know, if you are, like if you had a job and a kid and a, yeah. Yeah. But, 
but even then, like if you just had nothing to do in the world, let's say you were just independently wealthy, you had no, nothing else in your in, in your day, and you wanted to do that, literally you're going to be talking about the same subjects for the whole week. So even though you're there five days for a week, you're going to talk about basically week one's content, what week one's subjects. It's not like because you know you can't go from okay today we're going to talk about greetings blah 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 and then tomorrow we're going to talk about indirect object pronouns. Like it just doesn't where you just can't go you need that, that time. Fast. Yeah, you need time to absorb it, to use it. So once a week is is a lot, I would say. And really the learning happens when you apply it. Well, and, that, and that's the key. Like even um, a couple of my good friends, they go to the group classes and then you, you need to continue that conversation outside of that. So yeah, you have your group class, but then maybe you need somebody at home that you're practicing with or at work or at school because there's only so much you can learn from a book without using it. Mm -hmm. And with any language you learn, like I have a client who really wants to learn Italian and she's like, but I don't know where I'd use it. And she's thought about it and she's like, I could use it at this restaurant that we love. My husband could start learning it a little bit. I have a friend I could call. Like all of a sudden when you start thinking about it, there's places you can apply it and use it. It's surprising when, when we started learning and, you know, one of the tips we've told people is to put it out there, like let people know you're totally. learning. I can't tell you how many people, friends uh, that I know and people that I work with that are like, oh, I speak Spanish. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, or, you know, I spent a, a year abroad and, you know, I kind of know it. So, yeah, you want to talk in Spanish sometime? I went and had coffee with a buddy uh, a couple weeks ago and we sit down and he had just learned that we had a podcast about learning Spanish. So he didn't know I was even learning Spanish. And yeah, he lived in, in Buenos Aires for like two years. And so he speaks it really well, wow. you know, and I mean, he has like kind of a weird version of it, but yeah, when he was there, he was going to school because obviously, you know, you can't, I, I really don't think you can solely learn by immersion, right? Like totally, if you, just, you could, I mean, it's just but, different. But you'll learn. I, I think, I think you need to supplement it with some education about the language because true, because that's like, if you never went to school and you, you know, just English, know slang. All well, you know is slang, right? Well, yeah, and it's and like, like that's not good. <laughs> well, even like English, like you know, right. <laughs> colloquials or whatever <laughs> colloquial, colloquial, like Jenny's uh, nemesis. I hate that word, but like that is something that you know, even English, like a hundred percent English speaker. Obviously, I learned from immersion and growing up. Like you mm-hmm. have to go to school to learn why things are what they are right. and how to say them and why you use it before that and mm-hmm. you know all that. So grammar. It's a good thing. Yeah, grammar is a great thing. And so Spanish grammar, like, yes, you can immerse yourself in the... Like, you can learn how to communicate without going to class, but I don't think you could truly understand the language that well. Johnny's probably a perfect example. Really? Don't you think? Because he, you said even sometimes when he spells, he doesn't spell Spanish. (laughs) I give him a hard time because he spells things... Like how they sound. Like how they sound. But think about it. His and whole, I read it and I'm like, what is he his, trying to say? His mom is completely fluent in Spanish and talked to him all the time. Mm-hmm. And But he never wrote it. He yeah. never saw it. He never used it in school. Like that is exactly a perfect example of why this um, California school system would be would benefit kids that their parents are speaking to them. But like you still need, a, you still yeah. need to know the, the Spanish still, grammar. and Yeah, there's still some... It really, and why really things helps. are the way they are. Like we've asked him a couple times when we were first learning, we'd be sitting out back and, you know, just having a beer and talking. We'd be like, oh, well, why is that? Like, how is that in a past tense of something? And he doesn't know. <laughs> he's like, 
I, you know, didn't even think about. Like, this is just how you say it. This is just I, how I you say it. I think a lot it, of yeah. English speakers are the same way. There, oh, there's a lot of things I would about be... English that you say, like, why do you say it like this? And you go, like, mm, I don't know what you I just do. I don't really know. Yeah. yeah. And, well, if you were good at grammar, like, obviously, a teacher of an, a language teacher is good at grammar. Yeah, they're going to know. They're going to know why things are, mm-hmm. you know, present tense, past tense, yeah. you know, reflexive, non-reflexive, like all that. Where is I didn't, I didn't, that wasn't my subject I was learning or that I was really into. And so if someone's asking me a ton of questions about why English, why English is the way it is, I wouldn't be the teacher. Yeah. You know? I know how to speak English. I, I saw related to this, I saw a great tweet, I guess it was from a grammar book, a picture from a grammar book that somebody put out. And they said, you know, the thing that all first language uh, uh, English speakers know, but don't know that they know. And it was how you actually describe something. So there's actually a specific way when you want to describe a noun. So like an adjective, it's like size, color, shape, you know, smell, blah, 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 blah. And there's an order in which that they go. And if you switch even one of them, it just completely sounds wrong to someone like us who knows it just inherently. But somebody that's a non-English speaker, they don't know why you, you describe things in a specific way. Right, like like the the green uh, the big green ball, you wouldn't say the green big ball. Yeah, like that doesn't doesn't that just sound yeah. weird? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? I have no clue. <laughs> but we just know because we've been mm-hmm. you know immersed in that language the, for so long. The, the big round green ball, or you know, the, like things like that. Like the the order in which you describe a noun is something that's ingrained in us, mm-hmm. and we don't know why. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't even ever remember learning. Like, you never sat down and said, oh, here's the Remember when you learned, you like, them. onomatopoeia? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> oh, you don't? No. I don't even know what that means, but I just remember <laughs> learning. <laughs> I remember grammar is, like, such a fascinating subject. I wish I would have loved to learn it because mm-hmm. I didn't at the time at all. But in, in, in thanks to the advent of technology, you no longer need to know grammar. There's I know. an awesome app called Grammarly, which is a web browser extension, which basically... Don't tell Jack that he doesn't need to learn grammar. It's going to be the same thing. Why don't you know math? It, anytime you're typing, it will automatically check for grammar and you hover over the word and it'll say, this is incorrect use of a comma or you're using the wrong version of there or you're... This Are you that. learning from it? Yes and no. Más <laughs> o menos. Your grammar is pretty good actually already though. Well, I don't know. Because you um, apply it. You use it a lot. You know, and, and there's there's arguments for and against this, right? If you're if you're blogging, the language you use is not the same as if you were writing a textbook. Yeah, because you you want it to be like conversational. That, that's the thing. You want to balance between total slang, you know, like low class version of the language, and super professional. I can't really understand what you're saying language. Right. There definitely are like how you write and how you speak are different. How you blog is probably in between those two. Right. Because you want somebody to read it and feel like you're speaking. But but you don't want it to be incorrect grammar. Mm -hmm. You know, one that always gets me is if you say if you wanted to email somebody or message them and say, like, thanks, Jenny. And that's all you're saying. Yeah. It's thanks, comma, Jenny. There's a comma there because it's an introductory part of a sentence. And it's just confusing, and it looks so wrong to me. <laughs> I get upset when I see it. But I, but the little Grammarly app is like, no, you need to put that in there. Don't, don't look. And like you like dummy. fight it. You're like fighting against. I it. just, I look at it and say, because when you say it, you don't pause. I don't say thanks, Jenny. I say thanks, Jenny. Yeah. Right. With an exclamation part. 
I love exclamation, oh, exclamation marks. <laughs> I don't know if those belong anywhere in text, but fine. Is that like a... Remember, who's the biggest offender of that? My mom. Your mom. She uses it. She uses like three and four at a time. Three and four at a time per sentence in like per paragraph. It's ridiculous. I know. I think it's just a very, you're just being super expressive and you have no other way to express yourself but through an exclamation mark and emojis. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, um, I'm ready to move on to this week I learned, I think. Did you have anything else you want to share? No, I think that was it. Let's move on. Cool. Awesome. We'll be right back with This Week I Learned. Well, guys, welcome back to This Week I Learned. So, Ben, did you have anything to share with us this week? Tango nada. (laughs) Ben learned, learned nothing. That. Ben learned nothing this week, uh, <laughs> or at least he didn't write it down or share it. We had a short week. We had like four, three or four days in between episodes. Mm-hmm. But um, I had a couple things that my friend Carla shared with me. This was kind of a funny one. So I always invite her to the park, and I guess I invite her very early for her like Latina day. Like she's just like, <laughs> you're ridiculous. So she ter- she taught me what you would say like for an early bird, like oh that person's like so early, and it's madruga madru. Oh my gosh, you say it. <laughs> no, it's your your lesson. Madrugador. So like I would be madru madru. Why can't I say that word? Madrugador. See, this is so. Spanish is a second language. This does not so where roll does it off come the tongue. From, though? I, okay, so early. Uh huh. So like, well, madrugada is dawn. Dawn. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So that's like the super early morning, whatever. Mm-hmm. So then, uh, madrugadora. Right. It's is, like a person of dawn. Yeah. Yeah. Like an early early bird. So you could put an A or an O depending mm-hmm. on if they're feminine or masculine. And then, oh, uh, sugros is in-laws. Okay. So like your in-laws, uh, I think I've used that one before, but um, acquaintance, I'm always talking about like, I'm explaining to her, it's not an amiga, it's not an amigo, and I'm like, that other word. And she said it's um, conocido or conocidos, mm-hmm. which is acquaintance. Do you okay. Know? And that one you probably know where. Yeah, so conocer is to know. To know, exactly. Uh, conozco is like I met someone. It, yeah, so right? it's kind of like the the person someone version that you've of met. it. Conocido, like ido, is like a little. Yeah. Not like my friend. So mi, mi conocido, it's like, like a, someone I met. And yeah, it's like someone yeah. I know, maybe you know, but casually. I use that one actually a lot with her, so that was a good one to learn. And then tantrum. Oh, it's rolling my R's, people. Berinche. Lo siento, those R's aren't so good. B-E-R-R-I-N-C-H-E. Berrinche? Uh-huh. That means tantrum. She said like if you're, you know, like melting down. We call it melty in our family. (laughs) We always say Jack is getting melty. Yeah. Um, And then, oh, okay. So this one, how funny is that? So she texts me. A lot of times after we hang out, she'll text. She'll go, okay, you know, I'll just put it in text for you because I'll say things and she's just like, She'll, you know, she'll give me the answer or not the answer, but she'll like, oh, no, no, this is how you say it. But it doesn't really stick or I'm not going to really use it. So she'll go, oh, I'll just text you afterwards. Well, she texts me, I guess, somewhere along the way I said immune system. And she said immune system is sistema immunologico. That literally means immune system. So like if you saw it written somewhere, 
But she put in quotations, agregar, defensas. And she said that is a expresión colloquial. <laughs> There's your favorite word. And that's that word that Ben used last week that just threw me off and I had no clue how to use it, what it was. I think you were laughing at me. Thinking like it wasn't a real word. I didn't even word. know it was a real word. And um, she, uh, my friend Carla, she's a psychologist, so she definitely, grammar and all in English is a really strong part of her life. And so the fact that she used colloquial in like the right context, I was like, oh my gosh, so it was just me that has no clue what that word is. <laughs> so okay. that's okay. kind of what I learned this week. And I'll I take that as a point for me. I learned that my husband and my friends are much smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was a good learning week. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. I know you learned stuff. You just didn't. Yeah, I was, I was trying to look for it. There is, and maybe someone can help us. There is a, <laughs> so the word for sandals. Chunkless. Chunkless. But there's another word for it, too, and I forget what it is. And it's also what you call uh, a, a uh, tostada-looking uh meal or food like in mexico city those ones in mexico city yeah and and they look they look like an oval Ooh, this tostada. is a fun game okay guys so <laughs> yeah what's the word so it's an oval shaped tostada so it's like a tostada but it's made with masa so it's not a tortilla it's not a uh, corn like masa like is corn well i'm sorry but it's not like uh not the same as like a chip it's not a tostada okay got it and they're often blue and they have beans and nopales and, and cheese on them. And I forget. But, yeah, I was talking to Patricia and she told me it's it's the same. It, I don't know if it's uh, chancles or another word, but I feel like it, it began with an H. Okay. So if you guys know what that is, remind us. Yeah. Well, Send us a note. We'll have that one. All right, you guys. Thank you for listening and we'll see you here next week. Gracias por escuchar y nos vemos el próximo episodio. Adios. Hey guys, thanks for listening. You can find full show notes and images from today's episode at BreakingEspanol.com. We appreciate you listening and would love to see you back here again, so be sure to subscribe now. We have new episodes weekly. Thanks and see you next time. Adios.